0: Welcome to the first episode of Education Matters. On this episode, I am in conversation with Nombumelelo Malelu soon to be addressed as Dr. Moholuan. We discuss the history of languages and learning in South Africa. I believe it is imperative for us to have this conversation because understanding the power of languages is important especially in a multilingual and unequal society such as our own south africa there are complex dimensions to be considered because language in education policy has a powerful influence socially and economically the neglect of african languages and the development of afrikaans Provide historical lessons on how the issue of languages should be addressed going forward. So join us and enjoy. Hello, Fumi. Hi. Okay. So on this episode, we'll be discussing the history of languages and learning in South Africa. I saw your work on the Sowetan newspaper online, uh, but you stated many reasons why Mother tongue is important. And I just want to understand what is your relationship with languages? Why do you personally have an invested interest in studying about languages? And why do you think us as a public need to know the importance of learning and languages? So
1: um, reading, yeah, reading for me has been a life changer. Um, I, I feel like I have learned so much, um, experienced so much, even just through books. Um, and I, I would love for that to be a reality for more people. Um, and so I've been, yeah, I'm puzzled and concerned about the low reading levels in our country and then just trying mm-hmm. to unpack and understand that more, and I think there are two components to it. One is just about education quality, but the mm-hmm. other is language. Um, and so trying to understand the language dimension um, has been what I've, I'm focusing on currently um, in terms of yeah the, the mm-hmm. article you're speaking about. Um, although in the rest of my work, I focus on reading in general. So in general. yeah, that's, that's been my motivation.
0: Oh, okay. And then for me, you also, uh, because when I did a Google search on your name, it took me to uh, some website, Stellenbosch website, University of Stellenbosch, and there you have uh, your paper. And I read the paper and I thought it would be interesting for us to have a conversation about that paper. And your paper refers to three historical periods that have been defining moments in our country. Uh, The periods you refer to in detail include the colonial period, apartheid, and the current dispensation. I want us to draw lessons from history because history tells us that languages possess power. I'm also hoping that in your response, you'll refer to the power imbalance of languages in South Africa. And I think it's best that we start with the colonization period. So European settlers arrive in South Africa in 1652. First you have the Dutch, then later you have um, uh, the British coming in, right? So what is happening during this period?
1: Sure, so once the um, Dutch arrive, they, they get into governance, um, they get into power, they take land, but they also um, comment on language, right? So when in all of these three periods, you see a definite change in the language policy that gets mm-hmm. implemented. So you, you see an understanding and an appreciation of language as a resource for power, But you Uh also see as the um, Great Trek happens, um, mostly the Afrikaners move up uh, north from from the Western um, Cape, but Mm -hmm. they come up with a narrative um, of why they moved, etc. But then they also recognize in reconstructing that history that the idea of language is, again, very important. So there's a whole story of part of why we left the Western Cape Is because we were told that we can't speak our language, um, that it became an English colony and we wanted to speak our language, this Afrikaans language. A language, Uh by the way, that got created in Africa. Um, So it's actually a South African language in that way.
0: Um,
1: And and then in how it gets created, interestingly, we often think about it only as a Dutch um, descendant language. Yes. It actually has lots and lots of contributions from the Khoisan and contributions mm. from um, slaves, African slaves that were here. Um, but what's, the reason it gets reframed as a Dutch language, again, shows you the power dimension, that when mm. it was being standardized, out of the three dialects, we often, again, don't think of Afrikaans as having dialects. it's as yes. though that is an African language issue. So you, mm-hmm. you see there are, in fact, three main recognized dialects of Afrikaans. But when mm-hmm. um, the time for standardizing the official vision comes, which one do they choose? They choose the one that's most dashed, the one that relates most to the people in power. And mm-hmm. then, in fact, discount these other two versions as though they never existed. So you see this massive effort um to to link language to power but mm. moving on then to apartheid era um, firmly in apartheid you see individuals um which i, I think is some, a big lesson we can learn individuals ngos societies like a whole i can probably count five to ten organizations that their firm role and contribution was standardizing africans developing um, a corpus, and, and maybe uh-huh. corpus is a fancy word for vocabulary. Developing terms for Afrikaans, um, making sure it gets recognized as an official language, making sure documents get translated into Afrikaans. So, concerted efforts, a newspaper mm. that um, someone who became Malan, who became the prime minister later, used to mm-hmm. be the editor of this newspaper for years. Um, so, you see, like the media. Um, civil society, NGOs, individuals, funding, um, newspapers, etc., coming together to make Afrikaans happen. Make it nationally recognised. Get it into schools. Create dictionaries. Um, make sure you know develop terms. Mm. All of that concerted effort during about date era to make sure Afrikaans happens. Of course, at the same time, as as so much effort is being put into Afrikaans, nothing is happening for African languages. Yes, right? In yeah. fact we end up seeing um, the Khoi and sign languages becoming extinct. Um, yeah, so we see them becoming extinct. And so just to to make the note, we can't speak about African languages without speaking about Khoi, Khoi, the Khoi and sign languages.
0: Mm-hmm. By the
1: way, there were about 11 of them. They're not one language as we often Oh, see. okay. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, nothing happens for African languages to a large extent. And when things do happen, so not to take away from the missionaries and educationists that did work on African languages, but I think what is telling is because of the power of Afrikaans, because of um, the power of the state, um, they created this disassociation with African languages that during about date times black people started associating african languages with inferiority because the education mm. offered through these african languages was inferior right we know that mm. was a deliberate effort but it it then creates this sort of identity issue right so you're african you're black you know you love your language but you you keep getting told something about your language is wrong if you're trying to get educated in that language it's wrong. And so even mm. when good materials were developed, even when, you know, there's they, this, this really good work um, done by a couple of people, particularly in the Nguni languages, um, there's, yeah, there's this disassociation, there's, you never really know whose ideas you are getting, is it the update state, is it, so it, it creates this confusion. And then, Aside from that, you then get Africans being, the, the idea of Africans being extended further for education. And then, of course, 1976 happens. Um, people protest, um, say Afri- all sorts of slogans, anti-Afrikaans um, slogans. But basically, it's a culmination of the sense of identity that is being challenged, this, this sense of an inferior education Um, being challenged and basically being told that the languages you speak are nothing. Um, And so, yeah, that that became a massive turning point in terms of the languages in education um, that happened. And then moving on to the 94 current dispensation constitution recognizes all African languages as equal and important Um, there's a commitment to providing access to the languages. And then from there, you you start getting education policies that say you can receive your education in any language you want. Mm. Um, Yeah, basically, but um, at least there's a cutoff at grade six. But even in that policy, the preamble does an excellent job of being like, you know, this is the current status quo. If, you, if we have more research on how to better teach African languages, if you want to offer African languages up to grade nine or whatever, that's on you. That is, as a country, we're allowed to do that. It's, it's not like, you know, this, you can learn in your African language until grade six is cast in stone. We're allowed to change policy. So, yeah, sorry. That was a long winded answer, <laughs> but there
0: we go. No, it's good. It's good because, um, You really show us that there is power as well Uh, I think also when the state drives the language narrative and what happens in communities it sort of creates an identity as well Um, and then so now we are in 1994 the current dispensation Democratic South Africa they recognize that uh, um, that we have 11 official languages do you think this is justice and then also while uh, students were protesting about fees falling and all of that languages did come up as an issue again. And I think also it was, it's, it's important to note the work of the youth of June 16, 1976, because that was the first revolt in which young people were like, no, actually, we're not going to be taught in this language. We, we want to be taught in this way. And interestingly enough, uh, when I was doing my research as well, I found out that that uh, 1976 matriculants were actually averaging, the pass rate that year was 83%. Uh, I think it's one of the highest in South Africa. So I just want want you to just take us through the constitutional constitutional court landmark case, what happened there, Um, just make us understand in terms of learning and language and schooling.
1: Sure. So um, just one more point on why as society and as um, post-democratic South Africa, we need to focus on the Mm -hmm. language issue is there's this concept of language planning. It's an an actual discipline in um, education. You can study it, I guess, mostly by linguists or sociologists. Mm -hmm. And language planning basically... Uh, for me, has been an eye-opener and a debunker of what I thought happens with languages. You know how you naturally, um, yeah, you learn to speak as a child because you mm. hear other people speaking. Somehow in my head, I had believed that even language, like people will speak the language they want to speak. You can't, as government, um, Yeah, be too prescriptive about that. Um, It's it's not really a place to plan language for people. But this discipline of language planning basically says, no, that is insane. Languages are planned. They don't sort of mysteriously happen, right? Mm. Um, and even with things like, um, you know, I often, and in my circles and amongst my friends, will say things like, ah, you know, I would love to speak isiZulu, but Isisulu does not have the word for cell phone, for example, yes, or yes. an app, or mm. etc. cetera. Um, and I know, you know, the, the whole language planning um, theory helps with this because it says, yeah, of course, We don't have a word for app or software, but neither did Afrikaans or English. It's not like those words were just born
0: out Mm. of the language.
1: Someone said, named it, and then the other languages also took time to name it too in their language. And so this idea of like languages are constantly being developed the terms are constantly being created. That is a deliberate act as part of language planning. And we need that, right? You need, Mm -hmm. if you're going to implement this language, you need the words in the language. So, some people need to be working on this corpus or vocabulary, the words for it. And then on the other side, you need the policies that will make sure we use it Um and that determine its purpose. Is it language for academics? Is it language for So social purposes is it language for etc. for business and and then you develop the relevant terms. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to add that as something that for me is striking to yeah to almost like remind ourselves that these other languages that have these terms were not born with them. Someone said and developed them. So we can do the same. uh, In other
0: language, yeah, yeah,
1: it's it's not tied to a specific language. Um, and then on the education. Um, and constitutional courts are ruling. So in Gauding, um particularly um, in terms of schools, there have been several incidents with the current MEC for Education, um, Mr. Panyaz Ali Sufi, where he mm-hmm we are, he becomes sort of the face of it, but it's, it's about the department where the department is trying to get a class of um, students into high schools, but they can't because of the language of the school. So in mm. one case, there was the idea that this is an African school and parents were saying, but we live in this community too, can't you accommodate us and have a dual medium school? So have in, an English class and the school said, no, long story, became a court case. Um, and, and there was a ruling about that. And the ruling was basically that even though the education um, language policy says that deciding on the language of the school is the job of the school governing body, um, it does not mean that the department has absolved, its, absolved itself of that responsibility. It's mm-hmm. a delegated responsibility, but the department can intervene. Um, and so it, that was, um, change, it, it changed the landscape, it changed how we think of the power and authority of schools in mm. that before it, it almost seemed like even if we are upset half of the school want this language the other half want another language tough luck for you government can't help but i think the court case reminded all of us that schools are supposed to serve society mm-hmm. right yes yes yeah. the people mm. that are part of the school and for african languages um we may need to not have like a 50 50 if if 50 percent of people want isiZulu and 50 want Afrikaans that's that's fine in an ideal world then you can say you know it's all fair but in the case of African languages that have historically been disadvantaged you may need to do the like 80 percent of the school is in Afrikaans but we will introduce this 20 percent English medium yeah so so this idea of like 50 50 everything must be equal you can't apply that everywhere because of our history African languages Mm. are already starting on the back foot um, and so that, that was an important court case. And a second one had been the university um, uh, protest, fees Must Fall, but think at the University of Stellenbosch, there was one, a Leicester, yeah, hashtag it Leicester. Is, yeah. And, and the idea there was that the university is, offers education only in Afrikaans, um, the protest was in Stellenbosch, but actually the first court case was in the University of Free State. Same story. Mm. Why is the university only a Afrikaans medium university? We want English. Um, the constitutional court said, absolutely, yeah, we, we should mm. have dual medium universities. Again, universities are in service of students. They are not institutions in and of themselves that serve themselves. The university mm. can't refuse, even though the student population says, no, we want to have a dual medium university. And so those have been, I think, important shifts and reminders, again, that the law is on our side, yeah. the laws on the side of equality, the laws on the side of people, and that practices can change. Just because mm-hmm. something's being done the same way for the past 100 years, it doesn't mean it should be done that way. Yeah. Um, so as citizens, we have voice, uh, we have agency. And as you said, um, it's it's amazing to see young people shaping that, right? So you see them in 1976 doing that. You see young people now over the past five years changing policies in a way that serves the
0: country. Mm. Yeah, no, no, that's true, that's true for me. And then for me, I think, um, it being the constitutional court that's leading those judgments as well is very reflective of who we are as South Africa. 1994, you have this highest court in the land that says people's freedom should be respected, equality ahead, and people's dignity and all of that. But also I think it's important for us then to understand what is actually language and what is literacy, because we speak of language as if it's a barrier right? But we might not understand what language, because I'm communicating with you right now, but I don't understand language is what? Is it a tool or is literacy a tool? What is language? What is literacy?
1: Excellent um, point. So I would say um, language is a tool. Um, It's a way in which you access literacy. So literacy being the goal, Um, literacy being um, knowledge. I would say literacy is reading, literacy is writing, literacy is speaking, um, and language is how you access literacy. So you can be literate, um, highly academically literate in one language, but poorly uh, literate in another language. So, mm-hmm. um, and the reason I'm saying that is uh, I am a Zulu speaker. I am literate. I can speak the language. I'm fluent in speaking. If you mm-hmm. give me a textbook in Isi Zulu, <laughs> yeah no uh, and so and so it, it's this idea of like yes there's a language but then mm. the things I know in that language are called literacy right and so um. I think yeah so I think often uh, we confuse these two things so we yes. say things like you know the literacy rate is low because of language or yeah, the, yeah and, and they are Quite separate, so I could still be going to a, a school, learning in Zulu and be very poor, a poor performer, which is what we see in South Africa. Yes, yes. So yeah, so our issue is not just that we are not teaching. In fact, we are teaching in African languages. By the way, the policy is you can learn in your mother tongue until grade six. For most schools, um, children are learning in their mother tongue until grade three um wow. but even in that mother tongue as they're learning in it they're learning in it poorly so they're not becoming mm. literate in that language and so that's why i was saying earlier that we both have a quality issue and a language issue,
0: issue. Um, and they
1: intersect but they're not the same thing
0: and then languages and literacy do they intersect
1: Absolutely. So, um, I I think the the whole reason why we promote mother tongue learning when you start school, at least, it's the, Mm. all of us are wired that way. It's that you learn best in a language you understand, obviously. So, when you start school, you come to school knowing how to speak a language, right? And so, the whole mother tongue debate, for me, sometimes we lose each other when we get to this stage. So you come to school knowing a language and whatever that language is, is probably the best place for you to start learning. So for us who live in Gauteng,
0: um, <laughs> uh, the language
1: is, you know, we're living in quite a mixed environment. So yes. the language you speak at home could be, Isisulu but your father is Tswana so you also know Swana, and and so the choice would be then between those two which language do you know best and which one can we build on first and this is not to say exclusively that becomes the language but it's the one you can access the world in
0: yeah get it's you, your yeah. first
1: day at school right you mm-hmm. are being told this is milk or this is a cow or this is a cat Can you imagine hearing that for the first time in a language you don't understand?
0: Yeah, You're like,
1: I don't even know what you're talking about. But if someone says, oh, this is a cat, and you're like, oh, and they're like, you know that cat? And you're like, yeah, I've seen cats in my life. I know what a cat is. They're like, this is how you write that word for cat you're like oh Mm. so quickly that you get the eureka moment quickly because you understand what we're talking about
0: Mm. and then to
1: then transition from that and say okay so in this other language english this is what the word is for that thing so you already know the concept you understand what we're talking about what what a second language then does is we're giving you a new label for a second language for the same thing that you already know Mm. Um, rather than walking into school it's a completely new world and everybody's speaking in gibberish Mm. you are now in france and everything is french you're just like (laughs) it's late for you yeah so that's the whole idea of why we say mother tongue creates a good foundation to build from but you can then become bilingual trilingual etc etc but knowing that first language will help you learn so it helps you to be literate it Mm. goes from language to literacy and that's the bridge and then it gives you a bridge even back to language because you can then you can learn a second or a third or fourth
0: Yes, and i like that you said that it's access the world in a language you understand because the comprehension tends to be the major issue especially in learning in south africa and then Absolutely. you also referred to two studies right in your paper there was the national school effectiveness study and then mm-hmm. the dbe systematic evaluation um mm-hmm. tell us more about these studies because the findings were actually interesting that you noted in that study
1: sure so these studies um basically were uh, landmark studies in that they tried to understand how uh, language and literacy work. So how, how, what do, um, how do children perform in their home language when you test them versus in English when you test them? Uh, interestingly, just because of the timing of these two studies, uh, it was the same test written both in English and an African language and the same kids um, that wrote both tests one month apart. So we're not worried that, you know, some were tested one year and, and a year later or at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year. So mm. pretty much you can think about it as the same child wrote the same test twice in two different languages. And what was shocking and um, jarring is that they perform badly in both languages. Mm. So I think leading to what I'm saying of like being careful of not just villainizing English and... Glorifying home languages without putting in the work of making sure our yes, teaching is correct. Because we, mm. yeah, it won't just automatically improve just because it's in your mother tongue. There's something about the quality of teaching that needs to happen.
0: Oh my gosh. Like I'm shocked. Like I think when I read it, I was shocked. But now that she's saying it, <laughs> I'm really shocked. But then uh, between the two groups, the ones that learned the the ones that were tested in their home languages and the ones that were tested in additional language, uh was there a better performer between the two or were they working at yeah. the same level?
1: So I mean the the it's the same kid, right? Um mm. same children, but they perform slightly better in the in their home language. But when I say slightly better, it's something like in English they got 25% and then in, oh. in their home language, they got 30%. So all of this is terrible. It's not- It is terrible. Yeah. It's not like better and therefore now they mm. would pass the grade. That is, that's still a fail for both yeah. of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: this is yeah. sad, actually. No, it's yeah. really sad. And then other, uh, um or maybe let me say, what policies actually govern uh, the medium of instruction in schools?
1: Sure. So there are several policies um, that I, th- I think worth knowing as a parent. Um, it's yeah. I'm trying to think. It's probably the language and education policy. People call it LEAP, uh, NIEP. Um, but they 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 practically about ten policies that speak about language. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say the language in, in the LEAP is a big one. The national curriculum, um, people often call that CAPS. caps yeah. uh, I I wouldn't say it's a language policy. I'd just say it's the curriculum and is about implementing the language policy. So it's not a policy in and of itself independently. And then you have what is interesting and upcoming a draft a policy called the BELA bill, basic okay. education laws amendment bill. Um, and it basically uh, says, you know, all our initial policies for education and yeah, maybe the country in general, um, were developed between 94 and maybe 98. Mm. And then we didn't write a lot of policies. We just implemented those, which is a good thing. But this billable bill amends them, says, okay, now let's do mm. a massive amendment and update on all these policies. It brings in things like the court case um, yeah. And that I spoke about earlier and, and clarifies the role and responsibility of the HOD um, of the province. So the head of the province that the provincial government intervene in a language, uh, speaks about SG determine the language in schools, uh, all of that kind of um, updates to education policies. Um, yeah. So it's a, if, if there was one I would recommend that people maybe read, it would be that one because it gives you sort of a historic account of the other language policies and then gives you tells you what is being proposed to change. Um, then there is also a revised language policy for higher education that mm-hmm. got um, implemented uh, that's around universities, basically saying uh, universities need to moving forward and and much it's much firmer than previous policies um, moving forward each university must select an African language that they are going to develop Um, and develop it for academic purposes. Because remember, we are basic education, or we've been speaking about schooling. Um, And earlier I spoke about this corpus creation. Who creates corpus in terms of what government can control? It's probably universities, right? Universities Mm -hmm. are academic institutions where you learn, but also where you create knowledge. So I, I think it's an important policy that is speaking about universities starting to um i think they call it to make african languages academic languages not just Mm. like
0: social languages languages as well and then for me um so you have all these policies but i'm thinking south africa has great policies we really do have great policies but i think the the hurdle is always implementing those policies um you have so many policies that are speaking to one issue is there ambiguity amongst these policies and do you think there might be a conflict as well?
1: Yes. So, um, in early my early days of this study and work, I thought we need new policies. Um, mm. I now don't think we need new policies. I think we need to <laughs> implement. We need to just do the things we said we would do. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think the yeah. In this case, the implementation challenge is multi-dimensional. We've spoken about, well, I've alluded to one of them being the quality of teaching, right? So the, for a long time, long, long time, when I say long time, I mean things are only changing maybe in the past five years. Um, there was this idea that you you go and study a a teaching degree, right, to become a teacher, but, yes. and and to teach in the foundation phase, let's say, but you you never, you don't learn how to teach Setswana in Setswana. Mm. You learn how to mm. teach Sizwana in English, in English right? As I, yeah. And then the assumption is because you are a Motswana, you will mm. do the maths in your head somehow, it will convert, and then mm. you will successfully teach uh, Sedzwa to children. That is crazy. That it, there's no universe where that happens, right? So, <laughs> so I think there's been a a recognition over the past five years of firstly that African languages, the structure of African languages, um, is different amongst African languages. You have the Nguni languages where they call that agglutinating, but basically the words are stuck together. A sentence mm. can be one word written as one word, but it's a yes. sentence. You have the Sutu languages where each, each word is a thing. You can have the word O or an A, and that's an actual word. It's not a letter, right? So mm-hmm. everything is based out. And then you have um, uh, Tonga and Chivenda that are not in the same family, but they are also unique languages. So you have at least four different types of languages in South Africa amongst African languages. Um, and then English is a European language in its structure, right? Mm. So has things like in English, um, your vowels, like A, the letter A. Actually, mm. no, let's do the letter P. Okay. Um, P. A P can be an F in, Afri- in, in yes. English.
0: Yes, it yeah, right? See. Like, mm.
1: yeah, phase or philip. Mm. Um, Yeah, whereas in in African languages, things like that don't happen. We would call Philip Pilip if if A was was spelled with a P, (laughs) or or just put an F there, don't put a P there. So things like that are quite unique to language, right? And Mm. so if you're going to teach a language, you need to understand those differences. And you need to be taught that in your qualification so that when you get to school and you find these um, young minds, these lovely children in grade one, two and three, you know how to teach them well, their home language and English because we are a bilingual education system. So I, I would say the first policy failure or reality failure has been how we have historically taught teachers to teach African languages. Mm-hmm. And English to to be frank, so our teaching quality has improved over time, so they yes. are, they, we have international evidence that our teaching our teachers are more educated and more equipped now than they 've ever been, and this is has been measured independently, so we know this is true, but mm-hmm. that has been a weakness and and why language policies haven 't worked a second reason. Why language policies haven't worked, which I think is what we we kind of touched on again earlier, but maybe it's more controversial, is us um, society and wanting oh. African languages. Do we want them?
0: Mm, Do we really? So. No. And, and
1: and yeah, and you, you know the story of South Africa. It's complicated. Mm. So I'm not I'm not saying that as a judgment, like yeah, you know, we're bad definitely. for not wanting them. It's mm. it's it's if you unpack the reason why we don't want them. It's mm. a historical association, maybe some of it, yes. to uh, role modeling. And I think the middle class yes. are role models, whether yes. we want to or not, like that's yes. part of what they do. Definitely. And, and when I say role modeling, I mean uh, when we get to our family funerals, yeah, we can't even read the cards. Yes. We're twanging. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so it's, it's the, if you think of the successful people, you know that you want to be like, or people emulate, they are mostly English-speaking Black people. Yes. And so we we devalue African languages in that way. We, we communicate that if you want to be successful, you shouldn't speak them.
0: First right. Language. So yeah. that's,
1: yeah. So that is, I think, role modeling and what happens. And then I think um, a, a final, and, and sorry, part of the role modeling issue is, uh, employment so the employment yes, one is definitely. more yeah. yeah and and maybe it's a separate issue sorry it's not role modeling it's not linked to uh, in some ways it's linked to why do you not want them yeah. but yeah but it's also its own thing like okay yes. fine I want African languages but what job is going to yes. hire me because it I goes back English to the
0: science of languages do we yeah. even have a science for these languages yeah right
1: and then mm. it's the like uh no I think I'll learn English thanks I want a job bye. Um, yeah. And so that's why the policy is not working. So I, I think we, we yeah, the the critique is not really like the department must do X, Y, or Z. There are things we can talk about that the department must do. But I think in the bigger things for me are creating a demand for African languages mm-hmm. and creating a return for African languages that you get paid for
0: knowing them. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yo. And then for me, Uh, Because you you keep on mentioning the quality of teaching. So I want to also maybe get, okay, you have languages, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then language can be a barrier, as we mentioned. But then there are other barriers in the system already. Mm -hmm. Can we actually quantify how much of language is a barrier and how much of maybe psychosocial support is an issue and how much Mm -hmm. of maybe resourcing is an issue? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because you have this one person who's a learner but mm-hmm. they experienced so many barriers or challenges mm-hmm. and i don't I, I don't know whether how much of language and if language can be quantified to say maybe let's prioritize languages or maybe let's mm-hmm. prioritize psychosocial support because that's also an issue or nutrition or anything mm-hmm. else yeah yeah so <laughs>
1: um, you raise a um a a, a, a typical government dilemma uh Mm. where everything is important um and then if everything is important and everything is urgent what are we doing really uh and this idea of like you said nutrition and hunger and abuse and protection and books and and then it becomes okay if we're doing all those things are we really doing any of them well Yeah. Or are we doing all of them kind of like tick, 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 tick? Um, And so I think that that is a general policy dilemma. But that being said, um, so we've recognized that in the country. And I, I think we are doing a lot of those things already. So we have a national school nutrition program in South Africa, um, and this is typical. It's not just the South Africa thing. Most countries have some kind of feeding scheme, and we have we are giving about 9.6 million children a meal every day at school. Right, so that uh, is happening. Yeah. Um, we have one of the barriers we have, like you said, is maybe access to education because of fees, et cetera. But in South Africa for at least the past maybe 10 years, we've had 99% of children in schools. So we don't have an access issue. Children mm-hmm. are in schools. Um, and we have, I think about 75% of children are in no fee schools. They don't pay school fees. Yeah. Education is free for them, right? Um, And not only is education free, I think one of the, yeah. So those are almost like the big barriers that have been addressed. And then maybe more double clicking on that next level of issues has been over the past five years, there've been things like um, a textbook, not I think it was 2015. Yeah. There was a textbook catalog issue um, that happened. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. basically what the department did is before then, you could buy as a school any textbook you want to buy um Mm. for to teach the subject you want to teach that's fine so uh, autonomy but what that meant is the quality of education you were getting could be very different because of the textbook being used and no one was checking that these textbooks are the right quality we're trusting that you yeah we're trusting that you as the teacher and, and um School management know what you're doing and it's the right quality, but there were challenges with that. So the catalog started saying, okay, as the DBE, we're going to put together a team of experts from across the country, including provinces and schools, who will review textbooks, have a call out to publishers, basically say, if you want the education system to use your textbook, send it to us to review
0: Mm.
1: and then they reviewed these and then came out with this catalog that says, okay, here are the four textbooks per subject that we are endorsing and we are willing to spend, we're only going to spend government money on textbooks on these textbooks, not other textbooks Mm. um, because we are sure of the quality of them. We're sure um, that they cover the curriculum well, et cetera. So I think that was a quality injection into the system. Mm. Um, And then I think what also, was amazing that happened as part of that and I don't think we enough people know about it is because we started getting involved quite heavily from national in the textbook procurement story and you, yes. you, that becomes possible because there are only four textbooks, right? so it's not like a thousand textbooks. No. Um, mm. What we managed to achieve is because of economies of scale of buying textbooks we negotiated the price of textbooks from about 50 no about 250 rand per textbook to mm. about 30 rand per textbook wow so saved millions by wow textbooks right? are so
0: expensive. Amazing. yes
1: they are crazy exp- and we're like cool. no we are your only client and you are, we are buying 10000 textbooks from you Uh, If yeah, so we wanted a better price. So that those have been sort of the, as I'm saying, like multiple things, but then you Mm. do that once and and you can move on. Um, But I think, oh, yeah, I I guess the illustration I'm trying to say is over the past five years, we've tried to get into the classroom. So, Mm. so moving from like outside the classroom and society in terms of providing education to how can we make in the classroom better? Um, and so textbooks, rolling out things like workbooks uh, for the first time, I remember children uh, were, there was an evaluation done on this and parents were saying, like, for the first time, my grade one child has a book that they brought home. Um, and so th- this national workbook story, workbooks now, every child gets a workbook every year until grade mm. nine in, in two subjects. Um, and these workbooks are sociologically developed to get to your earlier issue about psychosocial support. They are um, yeah. sociology sociologically developed to, to embrace our constitutional values yes, to communicate to the South <laughs> Africa we yeah. want. Yeah. Mm. So so to to do the sort of soft skills learning that we want in our education system. Um, but I yeah. So so I do think language is an issue. But like I'm saying, all these quality things in the classroom where you think of the teacher and the learner I'm um, in your classroom, how can we make mm. this better, um, for me, are all-encompassing. And if you address those things, you end up addressing the language issue too. Not on its own, but you, you do yeah. proper teacher training when you train teachers. You give teachers good textbooks. You make sure the next cohort of teachers that comes into the system is better quality. Mm. Um, you protect teaching time. You help teachers to enact to in, in um, difficult practices um, in their classrooms, you try and reduce overcrowding in classrooms, et cetera.
0: Yeah, no. But it sounds like, I think, uh, it sounds like the department is doing a lot of work, right? And I think this is why I started this podcast, because... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we know a lot about what the Department of Basic Education is doing. I think we have this perception that work is not being done. And to hear you say that this is what has been done, it sort of unpacks the work. Uh, We sort of starting to see the light as well. But I think also sometimes it is that fact that when you go back home the school that you used to go to still looks the yes. same in some village yes. but then also yep. we can't take away from the fact that as you journey around South Africa schools are being built in rural communities yep. and they look yep. good and they have good quality but yep. we I think we get so stuck in the problem of what's currently happening and what we're seeing or where I belong I don't have this and we're yes. not noting what is actually or, or let's say we're not having honest conversations about how far yes. we've come. Yeah. Because I think it's when, a combination. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's yeah. it's it's both
1: we maybe don't have enough reflections about what's been good. I also think the voices that get profiled are typically voices that have like have a negative expectation already. Okay. So even when you 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 speak about good things, um, like the school nutrition program, for example, and I, I was I was um, not I was quite upset actually about this. We did we had like I mentioned 9.6 million kids getting fed every day. We did an implementation mm. evaluation of this, right? To try and figure out how well or yeah, how is it working? Is it working well? What's not working, what do we need to improve? Uh really good evaluation, nationally representative. Um, but we were doing it as with with the presidency and it, it needed to follow certain mm-hmm. processes including being reported to cabinet before it becomes publicly released. Someone, um, well, the media found out about it, asked us for the report and we explained to them, unfortunately, it needs to follow certain processes before we release it. There's nothing, it's not juicy. We're not hiding anything,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: mm-hmm. We, we can't release it for that reason, due process. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the media story will obviously, the expectation will then be that we are not releasing it because we're hiding something, right?
0: Mm. No,
1: we don't get believed that it's actually because of processes. And anyway, someone leaks the report. I don't know who. uh, A newspaper article gets written on it. The newspaper (laughs) headline um, basically says basic education refuses to feed um, children breakfast. I'm like, and then Mm. uh, how did like, the, the nutrition program is about giving one meal a day before 10 o'clock. It's normally, yeah. like, it's seen as lunch. It's one meal. But mm. in Gauding and Western Cape, uh, the province has managed to raise extra money. So, those, some schools get breakfast too,
0: right?
1: Oh. So Yeah, so our evaluation was about the main program that is being funded. And then, oh, but we also said we're not going to ignore the breakfast thing, obviously. If you are in Gauding and Western Cape, try and find out more about it. But can you see my point? Like 80% of the evaluation is about the main meal.
0: The Mm. findings
1: are basically that the food is being delivered in 96% of schools. Here are the things you could fix. And then, oh, by the way, the breakfast thing. Uh, Yeah, we also think you should add the breakfast thing if you can find more money but it should be strengthened because currently it's porridge and the nutritional value of it is bad, uh, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Why was the newspaper article about DBE refusing to feed breakfast. How was yeah. that the main finding after reading an 80-page report? It's because the, 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 the point there was to try and find the negative thing that we can report on. And so I, I find that troubling. Um, yeah. I don't think it's good for any of us to have false narratives about those things. We should yes. be honest. Yeah. When we are doing badly, the newspaper article must say that. Those piddler dreams, keep covering them yes. because no child should have a piddler dream. Definitely. But also when things are working well,
0: cover that too. Mm, no, that's yeah. true. That's true. And then you guys do a lot of work. Uh, I hope I'm not going to put you on the spot as well because you have <laughs> this EGRS study, the yes. early grade yes. reading study. Um, uh-huh. I think it's important. We might even have a segment just to discuss reading in South Africa and the context of sure. it and to help parents really understand the importance of reading because it's not really our culture. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, and then like from your side, like what is happening? What is this early grade reading? Like what is going on? Is it a public study or is it like a department study that you guys do internally to sort of see what is happening? What can we improve on? What should we do? Or is it something that the public has access to as well? Sure. So um, uh, I'm in the
1: research section um, in the national department. So our job is to research, to find out what could work better. Mm -hmm. Um, Our job is to evaluate when we have done things, how well or badly are they working? What could be done to improve them? And then I think um, another is to monitor progress over time. So we study education trends and analyze data over time, how many kids are in school, not just this year, but for the past 10, 20 years, how is our reading happening compared to other countries, that kind of stuff. So lots of comparative uh, work and finding out good practice. And so the early Mm. grade reading study came from that. Um, It was this idea of typically what governments do is the kind of evaluation where, what I mentioned, we we are already implementing this. Let's evaluate if it's working. But what we thought of doing in the early grade reading study is let's design a study Implemented, evaluated, then make recommendations about how it can be scaled up across the country. Mm-hmm. If it worked, if it doesn't work, then it didn't work. Then we come up with a new study and we keep trying to find out how to um, do reading well in the country. And so the early grade reading study came from that thinking. We evaluated three interventions for early grade reading, so reading in home language in Setswana in grade one, two, and three, mm-hmm. and our reason for Um, Going to the early grades is this, um, I think, yeah, commonly understood in education circles, this idea that in grade one, two and three, you get taught the basics, you get taught letters and words and how to pronounce them and how they're supposed to sound and, and, and basically get taught how to read on your own. Mm -hmm. then in grade four onwards you are given content now we're not teaching you the language now we're giving you the literacy so we're giving Mm. you science we're giving you maths pythagoras etc we're not trying to get you to understand the basics right and so if we're gonna get reading right in the long term we need to get it right in grade one two and three Mm. and so that's why we focused on um evaluating these uh, three interventions in Sizwana, um in grade 1, 2, and 3 over three years. And it was a randomized control trial, which is seen as a, um, yeah, a highly respected methodology for mm-hmm. evaluating that. And basically, a randomized control trial, I think it is worth explaining it a bit, is, how, is often used in medicine. Um, so this, yeah this analogy will help when a new high blood pressure pill is being uh, developed, uh, scientists work on it. They have a version of it that they think is now ready for the public eventually. They then have a randomized controlled trial where they invite eligible people. So they'll say, you need to be over 45 and overweight and have high blood pressure and, and, and whatever their criteria is. Then amongst, let's say they get 50 people. Out of the 50 people, they don't give all 50 of you the medicine, they first evaluate you completely, like what was your BP, your, all these measures, how will they know if this pill worked? After measuring all 50 of you, they give half of you the pill, the new pill. The mm. other half, they give the old pill or they give, maybe it's even giddy mm.
0: chippies.
1: And the idea there is to, because you, know, you, you, you think you are better because you've got the pill you're not yeah. actually better. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's why they tested in that way. And then they give half of you the pill, half of you either get an old pill or get a placebo, which is this fake pill, this Chepisea thing. Then you drink them, you come back, they they measure you again. And then they can say, oh, this pill did work or this pill didn't work. And so that's what we did. Uh, pick 200, and, 200 and 30 schools in Northwest Province in two districts randomly allocated them to normal schooling. So schooling as it was happening without us. And then three interventions that we implemented and then evaluated. And the idea there is firstly, we don't assume that our new intervention is better than normal schooling. So we wanted to be able to compare to that. And then we wanted to also measure our interventions. And then like I'm saying, the reason Uh, The other reason for randomly allocating the schools is a school can perform better because it's in a specific district. Yes. then you th- you think it's because of your intervention, but actually it was about the yeah. District. Yeah. Mm. district managers, et cetera. And so the randomization allows us to not worry about those things um, because yeah. they're randomly done. And so, yeah, we, we're learning more about this relationship between language and literacy in this reading study. And the idea is to scale it up, to eventually... Um, we're working on yeah all the things it would take for a province to opt in and say i want to my teachers in grade one two and three to follow this program because it's worked
0: okay well, that makes sense and then for me how does uh how long does it take to be proficient in a language oh, like i'm asking uh... because i don't really <laughs> sure, because i'm thinking like okay yeah there's foundational learning there's intermediate phase senior phase and then fet but like how long does it actually take if policy recommends that up until grade six and then practice is really happening and it's mostly foundational learning?
1: Yeah, so good question. Um, And I think um, it depends. So I, orally, yeah, speaking. So speaking a language is, 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 is even before school children um, yes. can speak a language so that's almost the easy one easy part and then there are things that we speak about in language that are constrained skills like they they are finite you they start and end and finite skills are things like learning your letters they are only 26 mm. letters they are no more than those right so you finish learning them um, and so those are the kinds of things we want to get right in grade one and two um, and we want children by the end of grade three to be able to read on their own simple texts, of course, but to mm-hmm. be able to read on their own and to have learned strategies that help you read a word you've never read before, which is, which oh, is what all of us yeah. know how to do. Right. So yeah. you see my name, Nombumelelo, you know, enough about language to know the relationship between those letters, to be able to say, it. you might not know what it means? but you know enough to be able to read it. And so I think that's the idea of like grade one, two, and three. That's what you focus on from grade four. Children are still learning and still becoming more and more and more proficient. But at that stage, they are learning the unconstrained skills, things like Mm. vocabulary, Uh, vocabulary. I think they would say, yeah, that's a lifelong thing that all of us are still learning, but maybe until grade six is where, you are still pretty much building your vocabulary, I building mean. yeah, at a mm. at a very basic level. Um, but I think it's why from about grade four we can start introducing content because you know enough to be able to read and then ask questions and check dictionaries. What does this word mean? What does this concept mean? Um, mm. But that's mostly in a language that's being taught well, right? If your yeah. language uh, is being taught well, yeah, then I would say that up to grade three in mother tongue and then being able to, yeah, um, learn content would would work. But in a language that you are not familiar with that is not being taught well, it takes longer. I think I've read studies, yeah, studies that say if a language is not your mother tongue and you are not exposed to it, you never hear anyone speak it, et cetera, it may take you double the time it would take a native speaker to learn that language so Mm. you know the the idea that we should we switch to english in grade four might be premature Uh, it might be that the policy was right we should be switching to english in grade six
0: thank you Mbumi, for that we have spoken a lot about languages we have spoken a lot about policy but i'm also interested in your thoughts as well so if you were minister today what sort of recommendations would you put to the table? And then also, maybe how should we move forward regarding uh, languages?
1: If I was the Minister of Basic Education um, regarding this language issue specifically, I think I would, um, as I said earlier, not write a new policy, but try and strengthen um, the teaching of reading or literacy um, in the foundation phase. So in grade one, two, and three, as is a current practice. And, and I, I, don't say that lightly, um, I think strengthening, continuing to implement deepening what we're doing is important. Um, yeah, I think newness and change is good, but, um, we shouldn't do it for the sake of it. So that would be the first thing I would say, let's do it really well. Let's keep training teachers well. Uh, make resources available, um, et cetera, f- as things are across all languages, find more efe- effective and efficient teaching uh, methods and approaches. And then secondly, I would say we should um, create a plan for how we are going to implement uh, the policy fully. So teaching in home language through to grade six. Um, and I think we that uh, planning uh, can be something that's done uh well fairly quickly in some ways and comprehensively so um within the next year i would want that plan to be done to be public and then i a part of that plan the goal would be the vision would be we're going to implement our home language in grade four five and six in five years time and these are the things that need to happen in the next five years for us to be able to do that I think five years is reasonable in that it is a definite time frame. So something that's fixed, we can work towards rather than an ideal. But it does give enough time for publishers to write um, for the schooling system to to make sure that we do that well. Um, So for teachers to be trained, remember, this would mean we now need teachers who can teach science in isiZulu, etc. cetera. Um, aside from having the content and the vocabulary, we would need to have trained them for this. And so, yeah, I, I would want to at least start doing that in five years. Um, and yeah, ultimately, I think it would also be the, how to engage the rest of government to, um, compen- to have returns for knowing an African language. So how can we, let's say in municipal and frontline, services um, make it that the language requirements are not just like is proficient in english but should be can speak a language of of the of the um region um because what happens in the end is um parents will continue to not choose african languages if we don't make them um economically lucrative or viable thank you very much that's me Mm -hmm.
0: made it uh, an enjoyable session and also we went over time because i was really enjoying the conversation
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be helpful
0: yeah and your paper was really a pleasure to read it was written very well uh, it was easy to understand and i also liked how you break down the terms i will also share the link of the paper that i read as well and sure. where this conversation stems from but thank you so much for your time thank you for so much for your effort as well we really appreciate it
1: Oh, you're most welcome
0: yeah thank you so much all bye. right bye